0: good morning good morning want to welcome everyone here wow got a nice little response there want to welcome everyone in the room right now y'all look fantastic want to welcome in everyone over at our timber grove campus y'all was over there last week and they know how to have a good time so if y'all haven't checked them out yet highly suggest you do they're over at 8200 washington avenue also want to welcome in all of our online viewers My name is Rolando Alviar, and I'm the online campus coordinator here at The Story. So the online campus holds a very, very special place in my heart. So I want to shout out everyone that I see in the comments week in and week out. I hope you all are doing really well. Um, For all of our first-time visitors at either of our three campuses, I want to extend a very special welcome to you. Thank you for giving us a shot, coming out and checking us out. I'm not the one usually up here speaking on Sunday mornings. Our pastors, Eric and Giovanna Huffman, are currently out of town, so I have the pleasure of bringing the word today. And it's been a long time coming. As most of you know, I joined the Story staff at the beginning of the year, after about three years at a consulting firm, and just getting immersed in this community and getting to know all of you has been one of the greatest honors of my life. And I've been really, really, really looking forward to delivering my first sermon here at the Story. This is actually my first sermon ever. Well, hold on now. Oh. Hold on. This could be a disaster. So, you know, let, let's see, right? Let's just wait and see. But thank you guys so much for being here. Um, I'm glad I'm, I'm delivering my first message in front of family. So that makes me feel a little better. Um, today, we're kicking off a short two-part mini series titled For the Gold and this morning we're going to answer a very important question. What's the goal of the Christian life? What's the goal of a Christian life? So we're currently heading into the final week of the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics, and I know a lot of you have your favorite sport to watch. For me, it's got to be gymnastics, okay? When I'm on the Olympic channel, and they're switching between all of the sports because there's so many going on, nothing grabs my attention and keeps my attention quite like gymnastics. It's just mind-boggling to see the type of things that these gymnasts can do. I mean, I can barely do a cartwheel, and they're over here looking like a fidget spinner in the air with some of these routines, right? It's just insane. And I don't know how they muster up the courage to put their bodies on the line like that. Right, And even if you don't have a favorite sport to watch or you haven't been keeping up, the Olympic games draw such immense attention because we're witnessing the absolute best athletes in the world. These individuals aren't just really good at what they do. They're the best. And long before you and I got to see them on the screen at the highest level, they set out the goal to be an Olympian. And I can't even imagine the type of sacrifice and dedication that it takes to reach the Olympic Games. A lot of these athletes have been training their entire lives to be an Olympian. And they do it. They go through years and years of sacrifice for one singular goal, to obtain this the coveted Olympic gold medal. As we know, it's not easy to obtain it. It's already extremely difficult just to even get to the Olympic games. But once they're there, they have to beat out the other top athletes from around the world. And man, is it it close. Some of these races, right? Or some of these competitions. This past week, I was keeping up with another sport that I love to watch, which is swimming. And I was watching the women's 50 meter qualifying races or the heats. And it was so close. It, my legs were just shaking uncontrollably, like at how tense it all was. And I actually took a screenshot of one of the results. And I want to show it to you guys here. This race, I remember watching the finish, and I could not tell who won. These, All these women, these five women finished within three-tenths of a second of each other. Just to put that into perspective, that's how long it takes you to blink. So within a blink of an eye, five women touched the wall. What's crazier is what separates first and second place. Three hundredths of a second. The first place winner literally won by a fingernail's length. And as you can imagine, once they win the gold, after beating out their opponents, after years and years of sacrifice and dedication, there's a lot of emotions. This next clip is USA Olympic swimmer, Caleb Dressel and his family after he won his first individual gold in the 100 meter freestyle event. Let's take a look. Man, I got chills all over again. My wife and I were watching that live as it happened and we rewinded it about three times. It's just amazing and so emotional, right? And now it goes without saying, But to compete at that level, these athletes have to be pretty competitive, right? Now, it's usual for someone delivering their first sermon to share a little something about themselves. And I could say a lot about who I am, but I wanted to highlight the one thing that anyone who's known me for most of my life would probably say about me first. And that's that I'm competitive. And for a long time, I was competitive To a fault. And I was like that for as long as I can remember. When I was a child, I was a crybaby. And when I was a teen, I was a sore loser. I wanted to win at everything and anything. And I didn't just want to win at a skill level, I wanted to win at a psychological level too. When I played club soccer, I was a striker or a forward. And when the ref wasn't looking, I would tug the jersey of the guy who was defending me. I'd throw him a little elbow. And occasionally, I'd accidentally step on his cleats. Not to hurt the guy, but just to annoy him, to get in his head, right? Just to provide a little more context or a little more perspective on, <laughs> on how competitive I was, I want to share a little story. So years ago, I was part of, of his church group that would meet up to play Sam volleyball once a week. And you guys know, you know, church group get-togethers, right? Everybody plays for fun, (laughs) not me. Not once in my life have I ever played for fun. As any highly competitive person in the room will tell you, it's only fun if what? If you win, exactly. So I played to win, okay? Now, this went on for about a year, I would say. And after about a year, texts just stopped coming in through the group chat, okay? We had a group chat to get a head count for that particular day. You're not just gonna show up and it's you know one or two people. Well, out of the blue, as it seemed, it just died. No texts were coming in anymore. I was like, hmm, that's weird. So one day, we're all hanging out outside outside in the lobby after a service, and we're all just talking, and I decided to bring it up. So I blurt out, hey, guys, what happened to volleyball? We should bring that back again. Everyone just kind of looked away. No one said anything, guys, like Crickets. And one of my best friends in the world, David, he's the one who invited me to this in the first place. He pulls me to the side and he tells me, hey man, I'm so sorry. Like, I forgot to tell you and that's my bad, but we've we've been playing. They just said not to invite you anymore because uh, you're too intense, man. People were saying that you got really aggressive and some people didn't wanna come out in fear that they would end up on your team. (laughs) And I thought to myself, wow, that's that's so weird. Because my team usually wins. How are they not having fun if we're winning? It it was that bad, y'all, like, (laughs) it was that bad. But honestly, honestly, that really got me thinking. Because I was a Christian then, like I'm a Christian now. I knew then that the Christian life was all about glorifying God. It was all about living in such a way that brings you and the people around you closer to God. But there I was, trying to win at all costs, seeking my glory instead of God's glory and pushing people away in the process. And at some point along the way, I had to come to terms with my priorities. I had to ask myself, what am I pursuing in life? What's my goal? And what am I neglecting to achieve that goal? And today I want to ask you those very same questions. What are you pursuing and at what cost? Are you pursuing all that God has called you to be? even if that means giving up some of your own glory along the way? Or, like I was, are you pursuing your own glory and neglecting everything that God has called you to be? This morning, we're going to read some scripture written by the Apostle Paul. But before we get into that, it's important that we understand who Paul is. And to provide some context to the scripture, it's important that we know who he is because he's one of the most influential Bible figures to this day. And it can even be argued that he's the most influential figure in the New Testament behind Jesus, of course. So who's Paul? Paul was first introduced to us as Saul in the book of Acts a couple of years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, just to avoid any confusion, he had two names, Saul and Paul. So Saul and Paul, same guy, okay? And I'll get into, later on, I'll get into why the Bible shifts from calling him Saul to calling him Paul. But to respect the chronological order of the story, we'll refer to him as he was known in his early life as Saul. So Saul was a Jewish man and was from a very prosperous city called Tarsus. Because he was born in Tarsus, Saul held Roman citizenship, which was highly coveted at that time. A lot of people had to pay for privileges that he was born into. And many others had to work very hard for many, many years to obtain Roman citizenship. And Saul came from a very God-fearing household. He even referred to himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he was very educated, okay? He received his education on the Torah from a rabbi named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was very respected. He was widely considered a master of the Jewish law. So our boy Saul was getting that Ivy League education, all right? I need y'all to understand that. He knew the Jewish law like the back of his hand, okay? Now, we see Saul mentioned for the first time in Scripture in Acts during the stoning of Stephen, who's believed to be the first Christian martyr. And the Bible tells us that Saul approved of the killing. This was a bad dude, guys. He stood there didn't bat an eye as someone was getting stoned to death right in front of him, a believer, a Christian. As a Pharisee, he saw this talk of Jesus as blasphemous. And later on, he made it his goal to put an end to it, to put an end to this new Christian way and this talk of his new gospel of Jesus. And this guy would go persecute Christians, go to homes, drag families out of their house. And he would order their imprisonment and sometimes even their deaths. Okay. Now, in Acts 9, we read that Saul went to the high priest and asked to go to a city called Damascus. All he wanted to do was go over there to see if there was... And he talked of this new gospel and imprisoned these people. That's all he wanted to go do. Let's read what happens next. So Acts chapter 9, verses 3 to 19. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So, Ananias was like, God, are you sure? This guy? Because I've heard some things, right? But Jesus or the Lord told Ananias, Boy, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hand on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, before I go any further, and this is important, don't judge people based on what you've heard of them. If God doesn't disregard people because of their past, neither should you. And if God can use someone like Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of Christians, he can use you too. I mean, he called me, to deliver this message this morning. And no one saw that coming. My own church volleyball team didn't even call me, you know, like what's God thinking, right? But if he can call a guy like me, he can use anybody. All right, moving on. So after this, Saul was on fire for Jesus. As you can imagine, he began going from synagogue to synagogue declaring Jesus is the son of God. And a lot of people, including his own disciples, were skeptical, right? I mean, people were seeing this guy walk into synagogues, start talking about Jesus, but they knew him as Saul of Tarsus. This guy's here to you know, persecute us. And word didn't travel around quickly back in the day. He couldn't just take a selfie, post it on, on social media, with the caption, hey, guess who became a Christian today? Hashtag was lost, hashtag now I'm found. <laughs> hashtag prayer hands, right? He couldn't do stuff like that. It just didn't work that way. And can you imagine though, can you imagine the early disciples trying to integrate him into a small group? Be something like, uh, hey, Jimmy, how's your small group going? Great. Awesome. Do you have room for one more? Absolutely. Praise God. Who you got? Well, it's uh, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus? Persecutor of Christians? Yeah, man, but he's changed. Jesus appeared to him. Well, all right. Let me just go... uh, Hide my wife and hide my kids, right? That's probably what people were saying at that time. They were fearful when they saw this man and they were like, oh shoot, I better go get my family. Better go get them safe, right? (laughs) Crazy. But he had boys like Barnabas that said, yo, he's with us. It's important to note, we need the right people around us if we're going to pursue God's righteousness. The Christian life isn't easy. It's not easy to go against the tide of this world. And unfortunately, sometimes resistance can even come from inside of the church when we try to shift our priorities. And if that's you, if you've been casted out by the church and feel like you haven't been properly discipled and supported, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. But please don't let that type of human failure take away from the goodness of God. Because the gospel of Jesus is so much greater than any religion and any church. Okay, the important thing to see here is that when you face any kind of resistance as you're pursuing God, the people that you choose to have around you can make all of the difference. I mean, just imagine if Paul didn't have these guys saying, yo, he's with us, backing him up. So I promised y'all that I would address the two names of Paul and Saul. So after his conversion... Acts 13, 9 says, Saul, who was also called Paul, then after that verse, he's never called Saul again in the Bible. Now, there's this common misconception within the church that I want to address, because if you haven't heard this yet, you probably will at some time. There's this misconception that Jesus changed Saul's name to Paul when he appeared to him on the road to Damascus. There is no biblical evidence to back that up. What we just read says, Paul, Saul, also called Paul. Back then, it was very common for a Jewish person living outside of Jerusalem to have two names. A Jewish name and a Greek or Roman name. Okay? So he had two names. Saul, his Jewish name, and Paul, his Greek name. And my hunch is, once he made his 180, he did not want to be associated with his Jewish name anymore. Okay? It had a lot of baggage. If I were him, I'd want to get my name changed too, right? So now we refer to him as what he's commonly known as, the Apostle Paul. So despite the resistance and despite the naysayers, Jesus went on to use Paul in amazing ways. He had a heart for the Gentiles or the non-Jews, and he wanted to spread the gospel to them. He was so instrumental in paving the way for the Christian movement, planning churches, being a leader. He wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. That's almost half of the New Testament that Paul wrote, okay? And his words have been timeless and powerful, He's shaped the lives of believers, billions of believers throughout the course of thousands of years. So that's Paul. And through his writing and letters, we're shown what the goal of the Christian life is. Now we're going to read what he had to tell the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter three, verses three to four and verses seven through 14. So verses three to four says, we Christians put no confidence in the flesh, Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul is saying if you guys have a reason for being so confident in your own ways and achieving success, I have more. Why? Because before his conversion, Paul was a man of influence, of notoriety, of power, he was calling the shots. And he thought he was doing all the right things. But there was one problem. Jesus wasn't in the picture, okay? He continues on to say in verses seven through 14, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So for Paul, all of those things that he was striving for in this world, He came to consider them garbage, filth, detestable. Why? Because true fulfillment, joy, purpose, meaning can't be found in anything in this world. It can't be found in a person. It can't be found in a career. It can't be found in material things. It can only be attained through Christ Jesus. And I love his humility in this passage. Paul, the guy who's unifying churches, giving them instruction and paving the way for this new Christian movement. He says, I'm not there yet. So don't feel bad if you're not there yet. Like Paul says, just press on, press on. And how do we press on? Well, by shifting our priorities by setting the goal to pursue God's will above all things. And Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 to 5 and verses 9 and 19, he says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, Paul calls greed idolatry. Because we can get so caught up in chasing more things. We can get caught up in, I want more, more, more for me. I want more, more, more for my business. And even, I want more, more, more for my family. Do you see how easily things that can seem harmless can become idols? When Paul was persecuting Christians, he legitimately thought that he was doing the right thing. He thought that he was protecting his faith. His God and his people, but the law and upholding the law became his idol. But God called him out, and Paul was forced to ask himself, "What is my motivation here? I'm talking about God all the time, but am I seeking God's glory or am I my own?" So Paul had to let his whole, his old self go, and by God's grace, he put on a new self. And he was being renewed by his time with Christ, by his time with his new Christian brothers who had his back and kept him accountable in his walk. But how are we being renewed if we don't pray? If we don't seek understanding by reading scripture? If we don't worship? And if we're putting idols in God's rightful place in our lives. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 24 to 25 says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Our crown, our prize, is eternity with Christ. Our prize is righteousness through Jesus. Winning gold for your faith doesn't look like accolades. It doesn't look like the world's definition of success. It looks like the cross. Paul said to run or train in such a way as to obtain the crown of life. And we'll talk about that more next week. But before I want to wrap up, or before I wrap up, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Number one, what goal does your current lifestyle reflect? Number two, if you audited your life, money, time, thoughts, Will the results of that audit point to Christ? Number three, if you consider yourself a seasoned Christian and your goal is to be more Christ like, how is that going? And number four, who are the two or three people in your corner keeping you accountable in your walk with Christ? Listen, there's always work to be done. Whether you're brand new in the Christian faith or if you've been around for a while, there's always work to be done. I'm not perfect at all, and I do not pretend to be. But I know I'm not where I used to be. By God's grace, I'm being renewed each and every day. Like Paul says, I'm pressing on. And I'm surrendering all of my selfish desires and ambitions. I'm letting go of the things that I think will bring fulfillment. And it takes obedience to his calling. It takes reprioritizing. And it takes being part of a community that's striving towards a common goal to put Christ first above all else. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Right now, I just pray for courage, for strength, for discipline, as we look inward and search for the things, God, that we're putting in your place, I pray for courage and strength to re- reprioritize those things, to put you first, God, to seek you above all things. God, I pray that we look at all areas of our life, God, not just what we're feeling inside. Not just how we're living, but who we're surrounding ourselves with as well, God. I pray that we may completely surrender all the things that we've been chasing that lead to nowhere. God, help us to not chase things that perish, to not chase things that are temporary. But to focus and press on towards you, towards eternity with you, towards the crown of life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.